Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. More than one in five pregnancies ends up in miscarriage. Around 14,000 women in Ireland each year have miscarriages. Each individual uh, reacts differently, of course, to pregnancy loss and copes differently with the grief. And there is no right or wrong way to do that. Some people deal with it better than others. We cope with it as best we can, in our own way, at our own pace. And most women and their partners find the experience deeply distressing. But women and men can sometimes have differing reactions. Sometimes the women might feel... Or the woman might feel that her partner doesn't feel the same way or doesn't care. But he might be just dealing with it differently. She might think he's behaving coldly towards her if he doesn't appear to be as upset as she is. This is most likely not the case and it's just different personalities and upbringings uh, trying to cope with distressing situations in different ways. And far too many women and their partners, uh, you know, their distress is made worse by the lack of understanding amongst those around them. Many of us find that people around us at home or at work or in our circle or friends who have no experience of miscarriage don't understand the depth of the feeling we have for a baby that was barely formed. Many women who have experienced loss in pregnancy are not well informed about what is actually happening. They might think there's something wrong with them when there isn't. And this can make the whole situation even more frightening and distressing. Whereas most of us are well cared for physically by our doctors at the hospital or at home, Many people's emotional needs are kind of taken into consideration and most of us receive no follow-up aftercare. Just 2% of pregnant women experience two pregnancy losses in a row and only 1% have three consecutive pregnancy losses or miscarriages. The risk of recurrence depends on many factors. After one miscarriage, the second or the chance of a second miscarriage is about 14 to 21 percent or 14 to 21 in 100. So it's highly unlikely if you've had one miscarriage, you're going to have a second one. But if you do have a second one, it's then more likely you're going to have a third, if you kind of understand what I mean. Because after two or three miscarriages, the rate is 24 to 29% and 31 to 33% respectively. So in other words, the first miscarriage is quite common. And when I say common, it's one in five women. It's 20%, roughly. can be even more, depending on the figures you use. The second one is less common. But the third and fourth are more common. Because unfortunately, at that point, maybe there may be a difficulty with pregnancy. So I want to open up that conversation today and break down the stigma that's out there. And there is a stigma. And that stigma is you have a best friend and they have a miscarriage. And what do you do? Do you say something to them? You know, do, do, or you have a friend who was pregnant and all of a sudden she's not pregnant anymore. You meet her at the shop and the bump has gone down a bit. And do you, is it okay to go over and say, oh, how did it go? Did you have a boy or girl? You know, I might, they may have had a miscarriage. They may have a stillbirth. Is it okay to say that to them? Are they upset? Are they offended by you saying that? And they shouldn't be because you're saying it out of care. Is it okay for a friend to ring a friend who's had a miscarriage the week after they've had a miscarriage and say, listen, I'm so sorry. Can I do anything for you? Is it okay to do that? Or do they not want to talk about it? We don't really know because we don't talk to enough people about it. It's like yesterday when we talked about something as simple as period pains. We don't talk about it in the media. And because we don't talk about it, we don't know what to say to people. And then you get a stigma attached to it. And women think there's something wrong. There must be something wrong with me. I can't have a baby. I'm losing my babies. I have miscarriages. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just natural. It's one of those things in life, unfortunately. But the number is 87 8 Maybe you've been through that. You've been in that situation. I want to open up the conversation. Try and break down those barriers and that stigma. And let us know how you felt at the time. And did you want people to talk to you about it? Or would you rather people had said nothing and let you just deal with it on your own? And how did your partner deal with it? Because I don't want to forget the men listening today as well. Because they are the fathers of those children. Of those unborn children. And they equally feel the loss. But they might not show it the same way because maybe they're too busy trying to support their wife or caring for their wife or partner. The number's 87 8 Bernie, you're on Ireland's Classic Hits. How are you doing, Bernie? I'm grand, Mike. How are you today? Good. I mean, I'm shocked listening to Pat or Toby, and by the way, they were still in a situation where, you know, partners are left out in car parks while women are being given bad news. That's still shocking. Yeah, no, that's not acceptable. It's really not. Acceptable. Not at this point. Not I at mean, this I, I mean, I'd love to go on the march myself if we could, because that need, that should not be happening. Mm-hmm. Not at this you point. Know, I, mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't believe it should be happening at any point, but, but no. certainly not at this point. 
Monsieur, the lady and the gentleman have been in the same bed for the last, you know, for, for, the, for their lives. They made the baby together and, you know, they, they followed that path. They shouldn't be, they, they're, not, they're not infecting each other. They're not going to cause any chaos in a hospital situation. Mm-hmm. They're, they're looking after each other. I just don't understand it's, it's, it at all. It, they, they talk about it also being, some of the stats are saying it's the lowest rate of vaccination is amongst pregnant women. But I understand that. Me too, because they're they're, they're cautious. Yeah, they're worried, yeah. and, and exactly. you know, maybe it's a first pregnancy, and they're saying, "Okay, I'll, I'll wait till the pregnancy's over before I get the vaccination," and that's okay. If that's their choice, and they want to do that, you know, and yeah. and in most cases, you'll find that those people, that husband and wife, or those two people, are probably very cautious about who they're being with and where they are and what they're doing. You know, yes, yeah, I mean? so yeah, because uh, my daughter had a baby there in, in January, and like I didn't see him; I wasn't allowed in the hospital. Her husband, husband was allowed in at the last ten minutes of the labour. Uh, she had a very traumatic pregnancy and, um, you know, she finally got through it. But she was very cautious and still is. And she only took the injection there lately because she was afraid she's breastfeeding. And, you know, nobody knows the future of this injection or the vaccination, what's going to cause it. Absolutely. Result. I mean, look, don't so, get me wrong. The, the, the statistics suggest it's safe. But, yeah. But, I mean, obviously, and people can make their own choices around that. But, Bernie, yeah. getting back to the uh, this, uh, obviously, this is October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And it is something we need to talk about, which is miscarriage. And as a nurse, you would be very familiar with that. And the reactions of people when you tell them, you know, after six or eight or ten weeks that they've lost their baby. It must be a very difficult thing to tell a woman. It's very difficult because, you know, usually they find out from the bleeding and the pain or they, you know, they don't sometimes... Some women didn't even know they were pregnant. You know, it, you know there is. Everyone has a different uh, mm-hmm. way of of dealing. But I am. I've only myself personally had a miscarriage. At, I was sixteen and a half weeks, so I knew when I had it, it was a little boy. Okay. So I, I, I was just that, and um, I went in and had a DNC in in the hospital, and I came out and discussed with nobody, and I went back to work the following week and told nobody, and I didn't even discuss it with my partner. And when finally after six weeks, he, I told him and he said I thought you were afraid to talk about it and he was really upset because he, he wanted to talk about it but he knew I was traumatised. And, um, why, and so why wouldn't you, why didn't you feel you wanted to talk about it? Is I there, is there a stigma? Something wrong. I know it sounds stupid but I felt I'd done something wrong or I'd lifted something or I had, you know, I had smaller children at the time and I, maybe I wasn't taking the pregnancy, you know, maybe I, I just took it for granted that I'd be fine. Um, and so I felt guilty that I'd done inadvertently something wrong. I know it sounds silly, or I may have taken a Panadol. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? We don't so you were know blaming yourself? Yes. So I didn't want to, him to, to say, well, yes, your fault. You know, I didn't want to hear, and, and he wouldn't have. But in my head, I had lost one of his children, and that was the thing that kind of sat in my head for a while. And it is you know? important, by the way, that we do point out there's fathers involved as well, and they've lost somebody too, because yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not blaming the women, by the way, but I'm, what I'm saying is that sometimes we forget that their fathers have feelings too, and they're looking forward to, you know, having a son or a daughter in the future too. So they've, they've lost a baby too. And they're not they're just there to support the women, but they should support their wives or their, their partners. So, I mean, eventually you told him, well, you told him anyway, but eventually you talked to him about it. Yes, I did. And um, I explained how I felt and I I couldn't believe how much it had affected him. And I felt really bad then that I wasn't more open about it. But my feeling of guilt over the whole thing of doing something wrong, you know, inadvertently or, you know, I don't know. I just Mm. didn't want to. I wanted to move on, but I couldn't kind of hold me back. And I think it's normal. I think it's a normal reaction in some people. Um, to feel like that, that they feel guilty because they've done something, even though they, you know your body is, there's something that they can't control. And when, 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 you, when you lost your baby, and again, by the way, I'm really sorry, my condolences, and I don't even know as a man if condolences is the right word to use, but I'm assuming it is the right word to use, because, see, this is the problem. When people meet you, and you say something to them, like, or they say, oh, how did you get on? Did you have a boy or a girl or whatever? And you go, well, no, I lost the pregnancy or whatever terminology mm. you use. They don't know whether to say condolences, I'm sorry about that, or oh, actually you can always try again. Or yeah, And people say things really with a heart of gold, but they just might say the wrong thing. And yeah, I think even there's a form that you acknowledge it for the person. I think, you know, it doesn't matter because the person's going to tell you anyway. Um, mm. And it's nice that you open the door for them to be able to say, you know, actually I, I lost, I had a miscarriage or, you know, I lost that baby. And, you know, you, 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 you as a person will turn around and naturally be concerned for that person. And you can feel the hurt and the upset that they go through. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice if you can express, if they can express and be normal with you and talk to you about it. Because I, I know from, you know, when I had my own three children, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, 
you know, you're then planning, you know, in your own head, you're planning on a little boy or a girl, you're planning on little clothes, you're planning on where are we going to put the bedroom, where are we going to fit them in in the house? You know, so all this is going through your head from day one, from day one. And I which know people, drawer they're going into, which drawer is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so all that is in your head. So it, yeah. it is a massive loss. And I know some people say, oh, well, sure, look, you know, it's quite natural. Unfortunately, it happens to one in five women, particularly on the first pregnancy. It's quite, don't, don't feel like there's something wrong. But women do feel that, don't they? They feel like something is like, wrong. You know, yeah, you do. And I mean, you're a human being, and it, it hurts so badly that you, you know, it really does hurt at the time. And you, you, you don't know if you've ever survived. It's like a death. You really don't know if you're going to survive it. And you, you try and muddle through each day. Some mm. women are great. They just say that it, it didn't happen. Um, I'll try again in a few weeks. You know, they're very practical and level-headed. But a lot of women are very sensitive and hurt and, you know, they're very traumatised by it. It is a very traumatic. And after, after, did you get pregnant again after that miscarriage? I didn't, unfortunately. It, it turned out I had endometriosis, so I ended up a hysterectomy. At All right, okay. Five. Because I, so, I often wonder after a miscarriage, when a woman gets pregnant again, how concerned is she then? Do you understand what I'm saying? Is she, is she going through that pregnancy on tender hooks until she gets to maybe the end of the second trimester? I mean... Of I, course, I w- yeah. I think it does affect... Yes, of course they do. Most women I've spoken to who have miscarried maybe the first baby or the second one, but if they do happen to get pregnant a third time, they are not able... They don't even tell anybody. They literally nearly sit at the house for the... You know, until they, they feel they're safe enough to tell somebody. Mm. And they feel life and they feel their, the scans and everybody in the hospital saying it's okay. So that's why I can't understand why, to, in, you know, the, the COVID system, that they didn't allow partners in. Yeah. Because... Every pregnancy, every woman wants their partner there. Of course they They've do. They've made this life together. Well, the and partners want, and the partners want to be there. Yeah, of course. And like, I do think the men probably would come away from it, this uh, whole experience feeling not as connected as they would have liked to have been to their children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Listen, I have to take a break, Bernie. Again, I'm sorry to hear about your experience and it's a difficult experience for everybody uh, that goes through that. But I want to hear people's experiences. Uh, As I mentioned already, um, this particular month, October, it is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So I want to hear your experience and let's open up the conversation. Take the stigma away. Is it okay to speak to somebody when they've had a miscarriage? And if you have had a miscarriage, did you want people to talk to you about it? Uh, Sarah, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm fine, thank you, Niall. Okay, the attitude towards miscarriage, you believe, in Ireland and your experience in the UK has been very different. I think so. I mean, in in England, there's no stigma attached to it. You mm-hmm. know, if, if, if somebody has a miscarriage, they, they'd have no problem in saying, I had a miscarriage. You know, it, it's not like here... But I, I don't really understand what the dif- what the difference in attitude is, unless I suppose we blame it all on the Catholic Church if it's some um, hangover from that, like the woman somehow has done something wrong. Well, that's you what know? Bernie described the feeling mm. that she didn't speak about it for three weeks because she believed she had done something wrong. But I mean, unless I don't know, unless you've gone through some severe shock or or. Mm. Um, lifted something you shouldn't or whatever it's very unlikely that it is it's just nature you yeah, know nature I'm... deciding that it's not viable well, that, well that's and what it is normally shock and stress don't cause a miscarriage and, and they, you're right it's just nature yeah it just it's just it's nature's way of I know it, I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound but nature's way of eliminating unviable embryos Possibly, really? possibly, or nature's you know, way of just saying your body's just not ready for it yet. Well, that as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a combination, and and it's not anybody's fault, you know. It, it's just life, isn't it, you know? But, I mean, what would we you... All... I mean, if a friend of yours had a miscarriage, mm. I mean, is it easy to ring somebody up? And I'm sure you, you may have, because obviously women would know more people that have had miscarriages than men, uh, because mm. obviously they, they, they have wider circles of female friends. Mm. But, I mean, would you ring them up and say, listen, I'm sorry to hear about your miscarriage, or would you wait till they bring up the subject first? Or, or what's the right way to do it? Well, I, I can only speak for myself. I don't know whether there is a right way, but, I mean, if it has happened, unfortunately. And I've, if I can, if they're close enough, I'd go and visit them. Mm-hmm. Um, and i just sort of say, look, I'm sorry. I know what happened, and, you know, I'm, I'm dreadfully sorry. If you want to talk about it, feel free, and if you want me to shut up and talk about something else, say so. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would be, you know, in some, I've, I've, 
in my experience, sometimes people don't want to talk about it then, but maybe a month later, when they've kind of got things straight in their head, they might then talk. See, people talk about, people deal with grief in different ways. And and also we should approach the partners or the husbands as well, because they are equally as important. We tend to forget that sometimes. Well, they are. And I know um, I had a neighbour years ago and they lost child they were kind of they got married quite late and it was probably they were looking at it this was their one chance sort of thing Mm -hmm. and it didn't unfortunately the baby was lost and I remember walking in the garden with the husband and he was just he just broke down because he spent so much time supporting his wife who was absolutely desolate and nobody really said well how do you feel Mm -hmm. you know you've lost you know, he said that was my one chance of being a father and now it's gone. Yeah, that was his child too. And, yeah. and we do forget that as well. I don't want to make this a bit of a male-female issue, but it, but it is equally devastating for the father of the child too, particularly if the father obviously is in a loving relationship and wants the child. Now, there obviously mm. is absent fathers out there too. I'm not going to go down that route today. But, but, but in but Salem, I, yeah. But I don't think it is a male-female issue, really. It is an issue for parents. You know, mm. both parents, have lost a child, both are equally, I know it's the woman that carries the child, but she can't do that unless the man makes the child sort of yeah. thing. So they're both equally invested, if you like, if if, if this child was a one child. And equally you know. excited about the end result. Yeah, And exactly. the outcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I mean, well, 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 do me a favour. Well, st- sorry, Sarah, stay there just for a second, because I want to go to Susan and, or Suzanne, should I say. Suzanne as well. Suzanne, you're an Ireland's classic kids. Hey, Suzanne. How are you doing? Suzanne, it's something Good. that we don't know. Sarah raised an interesting point there in the UK. Maybe there's a different attitude and maybe they talk about it a bit more in a kind of, I suppose, maybe a more relaxed sense. Whereas I over here... I talk about it in a very relaxed sense. Okay. I, I remember clearly my first miscarriage. My I was twins and I would have been about the 11-week mark. Okay. And um, I remember cooking dinner on a Saturday evening. I was doing a mixed grill. And I remember getting a cramp and going up the stairs and I hadn't come back down and the hubby followed me up and I was on all fours. He knew. He knew what was happening. Yeah. And I remember being brought down to the doctors on call. I remember them giving me petadine and I remember being as high as a kite and giddy afterwards. I just have every single memory of it. But I remember the hospital. I was brought to the hospital and it was grand for the weekend because being a weekend, obviously, there's not very many on call. And I have a history of ovarian cysts. So they just assumed it's just a cyst. We'll wait until the Monday. We'll do a huge big scan. And it didn't come until the Tuesday. And how I was treated then, from then onwards, I was actually told I was, wasn't pregnant and I never was pregnant. I'm like, hey, is that that wrong? Because it's in my file, my heat. Yeah. She levels, the whole lot. So you're, only, you're only two weeks away from your first scan. But this, well, I... Yeah. I'd had an earlier scan at six weeks. Okay. Now, they'd only picked up one because I'd had a very tough first pregnancy, we'll say. Okay. I spent seven months of that pregnancy in and out of hospital. And then my second pregnancy went really, really smooth. It wasn't as hectic. By the way, I, when, you went, when you mentioned you went upstairs and you were on all fours when your husband came up in cramps and pains, did, yeah. you, did you know you were losing the babies at that stage? No, I didn't. I think I was very much, nah, this is just, it's, I just, I just thought it was just a bad stitch. I was after doing something. I was in, and this is what I had said in my head. Even when I was in the hospital the whole time, up until what they had said to me, and I signed myself out. Mm-hmm. And then I remember, I then started cooking that evening, and it was like a batch cooked. And yeah. I was really, I knew then something was wrong. And the next morning, he was heading to work. He came back. He something told him to come around, and he drove me up. And then I ended up. We met an ambulance on the road on Nays. And I just remember the poor driver saying to the, the ambulance driver saying to him, "Is she bleeding?" He goes, "I don't know. I haven't asked. I'm afraid to ask." So he was um, af- your hu- your partner was afraid no, to ask he, you. He was oh the husband. He was petrified to ask. Why? Why do you petrified. think that was? I think he was in denial as well. To be honest. So he didn't want to upset you by no, asking you. No, he didn't want. To, I think he wanted to. He was trying to support me, but then he was. It was like your show yesterday, listening about the Periods. tampons and the sanitary towels yeah. and all of that. Like, I remember going for getting breast pads when we were doing the hospital bag on the first child. I was like, I had a list done, and he just takes the list off me and casually walks around boots buying the stuff. And I'm like, my God, will you hide that under the stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But no, just it, it was very, it was very, very raw for, for weeks. And it still is for me. Now, he finds it hard because I know I was given their due date. Yeah. So when it would have been near their birthdays, I always buy two roses to set, just to cope with that. And That's at the time, sorry, just to, just to get back to what I was talking about earlier on with Sarah and, and with our other callers, with Bernie as well. Did you want people to talk to you about it? I mean, friends oh, who knew yes. you knew you were pregnant. I'm sure you had told a load of people you were pregnant um, at that stage. I on the the first one on on this pregnancy, I'd only told three of my friends. I kind of liked to wait till after that twelve week mark. That's me personally. Okay, some people remember, wait two months, some people wait longer. Yeah, no, and I can remember my best friend as I was in hospital sends me a text message. Suzanne lost her twins, and I was like, oh my god, who was she just told? You know what I mean? I was really. Really upset because so she sent a text to the wrong person. Oh yeah, yeah. She was breaking my news. And I, oh no, you know no. it was just her. Uh, maybe she just sent it because she cared. You know, I mean, she's just sending. I it tell myself that, but yeah. just you know. And then I then had another miscarriage where my last child, she was nine last week. I always find the day before her birthday, I tend to go into myself because I do think, oh God, and this led to my breakdown. I had a very bad breakdown seven years ago, before her first birthday, because nobody wanted to talk. Nobody wanted to talk, and I needed to talk. And even when I went for a gen- the, the gender scan, I, we went for the 3D scans, yeah. and I remember saying to the sonographer, this is my history. I haven't told him that this baby was a twin. Yeah. Because I'd lost that early in the pregnancy. Well, it wasn't early. I think it was around I, maybe the 11 week mark they had said, look at it. That's it's not really now early, is it? I suppose. We, we normally think of miscarriages at around six or eight weeks. No, I was you know? literally. They had, there was twins there at yeah. the seven week scan, but as we progressed, mm. twin two wasn't growing. I'm so I sorry to hear you've been through all that, Suzanne. That's look, terrible. It, 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 I, as I do say, I've got four healthy kids at home. They may drive me bananas, but if I had a lot, had a had of, hadn't have lost my last set of the twins, I wouldn't have my last two kids, if that makes sense. I know, I know, that makes perfect sense to me, yes. To have four kids, but I wasn't. It was I was destined to have seven, but to keep four. Yeah. And I just, but it's... And it's did you feel like, things. Bernie, I mean, Bernie said, actually, I, do me a favour, I'll quit a break. Can you stay there and I'll come back to you straight yeah, after sure. the break? Yeah. Stay with me, Suzanne. Do you think more people should talk about it? Should we talk about it more, Suzanne? Or is I, it is it most, insensitive? Most definitely. I think... I, for me, I think so. I think I had a build-up from the period of 11 years that, that brought then, you know, obviously, well, there was the two years between the first miscarriage and then the loss of the second one. And that's how I then, it then built up until her first birthday. And then it led to me then having an utter breakdown because it's heartbreaking. The emptiness you feel, you the guilt a woman feels. It's like, have I done something wrong? Could I have protected it more? I don't drink. I don't smoke. And I was like, I was seeing people around me, and I was like, what have I done to deserve this? And but back when I had lo- had lost my babies, it was never really spoken about, even in the hospitals. Mm. It's only in recent years that hospitals have now offered counselling. But I think it's more so if it's over the first trimester. And, it, and it, that's odd because when you consider that it's 14,000 women a year or one in four pregnancies or one in five pregnancies roughly it's unusual that we don't talk about it more but do me a favour Suzanne just stay there for a second because yeah. I want to go to Ali as well before I go into the news today Ali you're in Ireland's Classic Kids how are you doing Ali? Hey Niall how's it going? Good now you've had two miscarriages I'm sorry to hear that by the way you've had two miscarriages and I suppose your point is is that when you get pregnant again then it's very difficult to, to relax and enjoy the pregnancy isn't it? Hundred percent. I think from the start to the finish, you you'll never be relaxed and in, enjoy it. Obviously, you'll enjoy certain aspects of it, and you enjoy the the whole prospect of having your baby at the end of it. But I don't think you ever relax until they hand you that baby. Mm-hmm. You'll always have that fear, and I don't think people understand that unless you've been in that situation. Yeah. I know people. If you if you haven't had a miscarriage, you're always going to be nervous because you're fearing like the unknown of yeah. having the baby, but you have that extra pressure of knowing how it feels to lose a baby before you get to that finish line. I got a and message. Like when you're I got a message there, ladies, from a girl a few minutes ago, and she said herself and her friend got pregnant at the same time, and they're both kind of due in six weeks or whatever it was. Her friend has just lost her baby, and she said, "I'm still pregnant," and she doesn't know what to do because that's a really awkward situation I was to be in. in. That situation. 
I was actually as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my two sister-in-laws, and I'll never forget going up there at Christmas and my bump was moving. And I kept hiding, and like, but she was quite open, thankfully. And it, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's hard to actually say to, to that person, you know. You feel guilty, I imagine. You do feel guilty. Yeah. But then that other person, you know, if she's really her friend, she will still be there for her. Yeah. And yeah. help her, you know what I mean? I, I, as, as that girl has just said there, like, I'll never forget when I had my third child, I was told not to get pregnant too quickly and unfortunately it did happen and I remember when he was born even for the first few weeks I would not leave his side I would not let nobody near him because I was afraid so you were overprotective yeah oh extremely and and the same that's what Ali is point I suppose is saying too you were overprotective of the pregnancy so I I, I imagine Ali you were watching every (laughs) every tablet you were taking if any at all yeah nothing at all you'd nearly you know go around with a broken leg rather (laughs) than take something because you just don't know but I think your your previous caller had said um, you know it's like the, the body trying to expel something that's not viable mm. and I, I completely completely agree with that um, I mean there's, there's always reasons for, for, for certain nature things works happening. in and, mysterious yeah. ways yes of course and, and uh, I was convinced because I had two kind of in a row that it was a particular sex of a baby that I couldn't carry and people have said that to me you know maybe it was a boy and you couldn't carry boys mother, or maybe it was a girl and you couldn't that. Yeah, mother said that exactly to me as well. That's kind of like, a, a lot of mother mothers will say things to you just to protect your feelings too as well. Yeah. They're very good at that mothers, yeah. Yeah, but I had one of the, I had a, a little girl and she's five now, and then I had a little boy who'll be two in November. So and and when I just ask Ali, you know, when yeah. it happened, were you okay to talk about it? Did you mind if people met you on the street who knew you were pregnant and said to you, "Listen, I'm really sorry. I heard you lost your baby." Is that okay for people to say that to you? The, the, the first time, uh, the first one I had, I, I didn't really tell anybody until kind of was nearly, you know, a couple of months after. I didn't miss a day in work. I ran over to my appointments in the Rotunda during work. I was just, you know, running out on my break. So you didn't tell your boss or anything? I, I, I didn't till kind of a good time, good while after. And when it happened the second time, my boss actually rang me and said, there's something up with you. You know, you haven't been, been great. And I, I said, well, I'm, I, I think I'm going through a miscarriage again, blah, blah, blah. And he actually said, you're not coming into this office for the next two weeks and I don't even want to hear anything. And that's it. And I think we should be able to say to our employers because I think most of them will become quite compassionate. But listen, I'm running out of time there. Suzanne and Ali, thank you for sharing your stories. And if anybody else, we're going to carry this out after the break because there's so many calls in relation to it. Now, Ruth, you're an Ireland's classic kid. How are you doing, Ruth? Hi, Niall. Thank you for your email, Ruth. By the way, I read your email, believe it or not, while I was lying in bed last night. <laughs> and um, I have to say, my heart went out to you when I read your email. And I'm really sorry for the, the loss of your baby. Thank you. Okay, so you had a miscarriage three weeks ago. So three it's, weeks ago. it's still quite yeah. raw. It's still, still quite... very raw. Yeah. 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 And I suppose your email went into a lot of stuff, but particularly about the restrictions as well. And we, mm-hmm. we, we talked to Pat Tobin at the start of the show about that as well, if you, if you had been listening in there as well. But, I did. I did. I heard it. And hopefully he'll bring in that bill to stop that happening in the future. Maybe if, well, if, if it will actually get signed off. But it must be a very difficult time. And I, I don't know what the right thing, even as a man who doesn't know you, Ruth, I don't know what the right thing to say to you is. Do you say condolences, sorry for your loss? Or do you say nothing at all and just wait till you're ready to talk about it? I mean, what, 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 what's the best way for people to deal with that? I honestly, Niall, still don't know because it's been such a funny time because if you would have seen in my email, I have a 20-month-old as well. So it kind of went from, you know, pregnancy being this amazing thing. I had a great pregnancy with her. Everything was perfect to, you know, now all of a sudden it's just different. You know, that kind of way. So like, I, I, I know it was know. Six, six weeks. You were pregnant six weeks, wasn't it, if yeah. I remember right? Yeah, yeah. And the unfortunate thing with us, as I, as I was saying to Ruth there, so um, we had my daughter's christening on the 11th of September. And because she didn't have a first birthday party, didn't have, you know, the normal christening in her first few months or whatever, we said we'd have like a nice little kind of get-together with close family and friends after the christening. But the unfortunate thing then was because I found out I was pregnant, we were worried, you know, just about having too many people in the house or whatever. So we had to tell everybody that I was pregnant. Yeah. And that we had to call off um, whatever we were having in the house after the christening. So everyone and you don't, by the way, you'd, you'd already cancelled the christening four times, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so. Four, four christenings gone down the 20 in the first year. 
Um, and we were really excited about this, but at the same time, we were like, we don't want anything to happen to the pregnancy, so we're going to just have the church, have our grandparents and godparents there, and that's it. So we had to tell about 15 to 20 people that we were pregnant. And of course, everybody was thrilled for us, everybody was delighted. And then there was the awkward conversation of having to, you know, do we send them a WhatsApp message? Do we call and tell people? Because I didn't want to have to face, as the weeks went on, people saying, oh, how's your pregnancy going? And how are you feeling? You know, because there is this awful feeling that you've lost a baby, but you do feel something yourself as well. Yeah. Like you just feel, I don't know, like not... Not that you've failed, but you do feel somewhat let down by yourself, if that makes sense. And what, you feel like there's something wrong with me. Is it me? Is it, is it my body? Oh, is it something yeah. wrong with me? Is my of body course. rejected the baby? Or what of is it? Of course. Yeah. There course. was even yeah. things like, you know, I, I started to miscarry the night of um, Holly, my daughter's Christmas. Yeah. So I thought then, was I running around doing too much that day? Should I not? Was I stressed out? Was it, did, did I take yeah. too much on? Yeah. Yeah. Which, then, which, by the way, know, is not I, the case because pregnancy is just a state. I mean, it's a physical state. Yeah, you should be exactly. able to pretty much do what you've done before within reason, of course. Of course. You, know. you do. There, there is that element. Just like, you know, with body, I was like, you know, this is great. Like I, you know, a lot of people talk about their bodies after pregnancy in a negative way. Whereas I felt the opposite. You know, I, I thought I was going to carry the baby for nine months. I delivered her. I breastfed her. And I'm thrilled with all that. But then, again, just like the, the feeling of the pregnancy it changes then again. You're like, oh, what, what's happened to my body now that this just didn't work out for me? Why and some people fail? just say the wrong things. I remember being with somebody once who did have a miscarriage and she had been telling some people. And an older person, a woman, I think she must have been in her 70s, showed that's awful. But it's your look, you can have another one. And and when people say that, I I know they say, it with a, they say it with a good heart. They do say it with a good heart. But, it, you know, I know that must really hurt when people say things it like does. that. It does. And yet what we kind of know, what we kind of, Holly like and that's great and, yeah. and it is don't get me wrong I mean like her godparents my best friend took care of her on the morning that I went into Hollister and um, and we you know it made things so much easier coming home to her but it doesn't it doesn't take away from the fact that you were carrying another baby as well and that baby's gone yeah and you don't know if you get the chance again like we're nervous you know we want to try again but we don't know if it's going to happen yeah and, and then, then I, I'm, I'm nervous as well of, of people then asking us if we're going to try again and how are you getting on and you know that kind of there's just there's so that, much. by the way we talked about that a few weeks ago that whole idea of that pressure that's put on women to have babies in the first place mm. you know or, will you, or God will be good to you anything stored in yet and all that those kind of sayings that we have very Irish thing to do right yeah. particularly from mother-in-laws and stuff like that I know <laughs> and, and I imagine after a miscarriage I, I, I don't know if people would be that insensitive to turn around to you and say well sure you're going to go again you know I mean people just I don't know if people, if it's a nervous thing, if they don't know what to say. You'd be very surprised with the comments that people come out with. Mm. Especially, I think, around babies. Yeah. And how, you are you, how are you now? How are you dealing with it now? Are you okay? I'm okay, Noel. I mean, like, myself and my husband, like, you know, we're, we're a really, really... Good team. I'm losing, I'm losing you a bit there. Just move your head a little bit, Ruth. I don't want to lose you. Um, yeah, like we're we're a really great team. He's um he's my backbone, you know. Like we're we're partners now. And how is he, by the way? How was I mean? I'm was, sure he was he, equally as devastated. Yes, he was. He was. He was. He was really upset about the whole thing. And the hard thing was was that we weren't together in it. You know, we're together for everything. Like you know, like I said, we we're partners in everything. Where we come from, small families. You know, we've been in business together. We've been in life together. And to go through this separately was really, really tough. Okay, um, so this is what I wanted to come to, was the COVID restrictions at the time. Yes. And that's what made it even more difficult for you then. It was awful. It was absolutely horrible because I know if he had been sitting with me, holding my hand, just saying to me, okay, this is probably how it's going to go, but we're here together. But, and there's, a, know, there's even, a part in your email I want to read here. It says, the streets were thronged with people, the pubs and bars were jammed, Crow Park had been filled with tens of thousands of GAA fans and Mayo and Tyrone, but at 8 o'clock in the, the next morning when I started to bleed heavily, I had to sit in Hollis Street by myself. And that's the part that, that there's just no logic to that. None. None whatsoever. And I begged them. There was not one person. I had actually rang Hollis Street A&E at 7 o'clock on the Sunday morning. And they told me not to even come in. They said, bleeding's normal. And I, I, I said it to my husband, and he looked and said, Ruth, this is not normal. Like, you need to, to get in I, I've never heard that. I, no, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not an expert in pregnancy. But I imagine spotting is normal. But spotting I apparently is normal, but not, not heavy. Bleeding, bleeding. No, no, I wouldn't imagine And, so. you know, I felt, I felt like I was almost at an inconvenience then as well. So I'm in there by myself, 
um, the midwife looked and said, oh, you were the girl on the phone, isn't that right? So in my head again, I'm like, oh, right, so you guys aren't busy in here. Thank God. Thank God nobody else was going through a pregnancy emergency. But I sat in there watching whatever Sunday morning TV was on while my husband's out in the lashing rain, walking around. Yeah, walking around Marion Square, Square, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, upset, texting me, really, what's happening? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody's telling me anything. Nobody, I sat there for an hour and a half by myself. I must have read every page on Google trying to figure out, is this normal? Is it not normal? And then in the end, I, I literally begged. I said, please, 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 there's nobody here. My husband's outside by himself. I'm in here by myself. I don't know what's happening. Please let him in. And she just looked at me. We don't normally do this, but okay, tell him to come in. And I had to send him a message. And he ran from Marion Square to come in to me. And were they, the staff themselves, when you were in there, were they empathetic towards this, that situation where, the, you know, that was going on at the moment? The first midwife, I didn't think so, no. I thought she was very dismissive. Um, even when I, she said, like, you know, like, what did you do yesterday? That kind of thing. And that, again, then brings you back to getting into your head going, oh, God. It was did I do something today. wrong? Yeah. Did I do something? I was wearing heels. Little things like this comes into your head, you know. And the second midwife, she, she was very, very nice. And she didn't agree with the way things are, doesn't agree with the restrictions, which is probably why she did bend the rules for us. Good. Well, I, well I'm but, glad she saw sense and did oh, that. God. Yeah, and, and by the way, there's, there shouldn't be a situation where it's down to somebody to use their common sense like that. It no. should be just a hospital policy. And that has to end as well. But look, I'm really, really sorry, Ruth. And I know it's quite still quite raw. It's only been three weeks. And thank you very much for your email, by the way. It was nice of you to send us that email. It was coincidence that we were doing that today as yeah, well. Yeah, no, I just, I just felt last night, just, I, was just, I had been to the, the March maternity yesterday and those girls are just doing an absolutely incredible job. I mean, it, shame on our leaders when you look at those. Well, they all did, they all did come out for the photo opportunities yesterday, didn't they? No, of course they did. Mine, mine is their mask, but you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> they came out with the photo ops. They were all out, the politicians were out for the photo. But as Pater Tobin, in fairness to Pater Tobin, he is standing up for the women of Ireland in the doll and saying that. But yeah. as he said, many of those politicians come out for the photo ops, but they go back into the doll and do absolutely nothing about it. Well, that, this is exactly it. I mean, I, as, as you saw in my email, I emailed every single councillor, TD, whoever I could last night in my constituency from all... Well, the three parties that were at the school photograph yesterday, the Edmund Rice School. Yeah, and I see the, pho- I see the photograph got, here, yeah. I only got one email back from Mary Hannison, who just uh, offered myself and my husband her condolences. But, you know, you saw the questions I put them, like, what measures have you taken? What, what steps have you done to, you know, try and get these restrictions lifted? And she kind of just went over it, and it was like it's been done at national level, and that's all. Well, the one thing I don't understand about the photograph is, You've got the four politicians there standing there in the middle with their shovels in their hand, right? Mm. And you've got the, the kind of bill, I don't know, the overseer on the left hand side, I don't know who he is, and the school kids on mm. on the left and right. So everybody's wearing their masks except the four politicians. I know. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, oh, I just, it's going to do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> exactly. I can't understand what, to- what, what tone that sets. I mean, those poor children to look and go like, well, these are the people that we need to listen to. Wear masks up, but they have the freedom to do what they want. And again... In the same photograph. People, in the same photograph. It's complete, it's discrimination at the highest level. And again, these are the people who are telling us, no, you can't have your husband sit in the maternity hospital with you, but we'll do what we want. Well, look, again, Ruth, sorry for your loss, uh, if that's the right thing. And that is the right thing to say. I I think it is, because it is a loss, and it is the right way, I think, to approach it, definitely. But I think as well, just something I just wanted to touch on as well, sorry to kind of run over here, but I was saying to Ruth there as well, when I spoke to the midwife later on in the week, um, I had to have hormone tests done to confirm the miscarriage. And I asked her if there was a risk going forward. And her answer was, well, you're one in four. And I thought that, that was a very dismissive and cold way to look at that because I'm not one in four. I'm Ruth who lost the baby. Yeah, and absolutely. You are Ruth that lost the baby. And just, by the way, if it puts your mind at ease somewhat, it's unlikely because uh, looking at the statistics, and I was looking through all the statistics this morning in relation to miscarriage, and you are, well, they say between one and four and one and five, you know, mm. is the rate that women will miscarry, usually on a first pregnancy. But um, after that as well, the chances of doing that a second time, you know, go down. So oh, that's good. So that's it's, it is good to know. And, and I, think, I think, you know, I think trying to give people more positive news rather than negative news is probably not a good thing to be doing. And you're, you're yeah. not one in four or you're certainly not 14 and 21, as they say, for the second. Uh, you're Ruth. And absolutely. And, you're, and your baby was your baby. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, yeah. thank you very much indeed, Ruth. And I appreciate thank you coming you know, on here. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. Lucy, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Lucy? Hi, I'm good. Thank you, Now, Now, Lucy, you also had a miscarriage. I'm very sorry to hear that. And yeah, I've had a number of them, actually. I'm okay talking about it as well. How many have um, you had, Lucy? 
I had, I've lost 11 babies, but 10 oh my. miscarriages. Oh my. And within those miscarriages, we had a 20-week miscarriage and we had a fatal fetal. Now, I will say the fatal fetal was the most horrendous of, of it all. I wonder, I was saying, to, when we were talking about this earlier on in the office. In my experience, sorry, I should say that. In yeah, no, in your experience, obviously. And I was saying this in the office today to the girls in the office, because obviously as a man, I don't maybe have the same understanding. But is it harder when you lose a baby later in the pregnancy than earlier in the pregnancy? Or oh, does it really 100%. matter? Well, no, it, emotionally it doesn't matter. Physically it does because you've a pronounced bump. You've, like normally when you first get pregnant, most women would say, oh, it's so lovely, everyone keeps smiling at me. And, you know, you see them get those smiles or you get the comments in the playground. And, you know, especially with the fatal fetal, I was a ticking time bomb. I was told originally this baby might be born with Down syndrome. So we started making changes for that. Then we were told 50% chance of survival. Then we were told if it survives heavy institutions. And then it went right down to 2%. And was your baby born alive? No, what happened in the end is, I, it was just before the referendum, I had to travel because my omni office staff started okay. separating and I started getting sepsis. Now, when I got to England, I was told it could have been dealt with here. It should, but, have, been, it um, should have been dealt with here. Though. Should we, we should, there should be no fairness, questions over that. Well, that's, it was a pre-referendum. and I, I have, The other thing I think a lot of people don't realise about that most people don't get their diagnosis until 12 weeks. And the referendum law only changed it for 12 weeks down. It really needed to be changed from 12 to 16 weeks. Mm. And I think the general public never realised that. But um, I, I, think, I think the emotional thing is different. For men, it's cerebral. They, you know, if it was a little boy, the football, all of those things, the matches, yeah. all that goes. For me, I just, I felt so useless. I was like, this is meant to be my God-given right, my biological, you know, mark on the world. And it wasn't working for me. And I was very, very blessed. And I want to point out this. Yeah. I had a child first. And I think it's very, very different when you come home and you get to hug somebody. Yeah. And I think that made the world a difference. For those people who don't have the person to go home to hug to, my heart breaks for them. And it also forces you to get up in the morning with a smile and survive your life. See, listening to you, when I listen to you, I think of what my mother went through because my mother had my sister and then she had four miscarriages and then she had a stillbirth, I think. Or no, she had a little baby that that survived, I think, a short time. Um, And she gave her name, Mary was the name she gave her. And and only recently, actually, her name was put on my mother's gravestone. Um, But... And then she decided to adopt and that's why I was adopted because she didn't want to take the chance maybe and now I'm listening to you I understand possibly why because that was a very traumatic thing for you to go through that many times. Yeah, no it was and I would have been in the unfortunate thing and my husband doesn't work in this country so before COVID even happened every single one of my crappy scans was by myself. I can remember as I said to my mother once I've walked out the back door of Hollow Street Ten times, and I've only walked out the front door once. Wow. Uh, um, you know, um, but um, the thing—the thing I think is funny in Ireland is the difference. In, there is a huge difference. People are willing to talk about it. Um, you know, you—you've you, brought this all up. People kind of go, "Oh, I don't know what to say. I do, don't want." They do know what to say. You do know what to say. Saying, "I'm sorry, this has come to you." Like I'm a big believer in nature is wonderful. But on the flip side of something wonderful is something awful, and that's nature. So this kept happening to me, and people disappeared. Yeah. People, um, people kind of were afraid to say anything to you because oh, maybe like, they were embarrassed or something. Some, I don't know. No, it was uncomfortable. It's like, I, I'm, um, I'm going to be harsh here. It's not a nice conversation. I mean, I came back from England, and I, I have one sister who was absolute gold, but not one other member of my brothers or sisters called into my house. Nobody. And, why, nobody. and why, do you, why do you think people feel that uncomfortableness? I, I get because it's awful and because certain days I'd be great and other days I wouldn't. Other days I'd be bawling, crying, you know, to the point of being nauseous and it's not a nice thing to sit through. Yeah. But the other thing I discovered is, and I'm just shouting out to those abrupt, loud friends, you're amazing. Yeah. If you arrived at my door every day and yeah. you were willing to take 
whatever crap I was throwing at you if I was in a good mood. Because I, I, yeah, absolutely, because I'm going to say that would play havoc with your mental health as well. Yeah, like I have all these friends who think they supported me and they were great. But really, it was a couple and it was two friends and a sister who got me through it. And they were just so present. What I would say to anybody who has a friend in this, be present and be vocal. Yeah. You don't have to. So what would you like them to come up and say, come on, Ruth, now pull yourself together. That kind no, of that I, kind I of more say, that attitude. No, but or I should say, Lucy, because I've run people. And I've gone. Do you know what? Go into your corner and lick your wounds, and you stay in that corner licking yeah. your wounds until you're ready to come out. And don't listen to anyone who says you have to come out before you. You don't. You come out when you have. When to you're come. ready. Yeah, like I had one miscarriage where I was fine the next day. I, you know, each one is different, and but I do think. And does it matter how many you have? I mean. The more you it have, does, does, it, does it make, does it, are you, do you become hardened and deal with it better? A little bit. Or I felt um, a lot of people became, especially close family, became impatient with me and didn't appreciate what I was bringing to their door. And were you, like one of our callers earlier on who said she had a miscarriage and then on her next pregnancy, she couldn't relax until literally the baby was in her hand. Were you <laughs> like that then through all your other pregnancies? A hundred percent. We were blessed seven years later with a rainbow baby mm. and on that day right at the end there was you know in the birthing thing we suddenly thought it wasn't going to happen and when that baby came out screaming crying was the first time I was I delighted proper, to hear that, that deep, crying exactly a <laughs> yeah. deep breath so, like and everyone was like isn't this amazing isn't this amazing and I just stand there with a smile on my face going nothing's amazing until I hold it and child. pardon my ignorance but do women uh, because obviously I haven't been in the situation or experienced it but do women give their miscarriages to the, the baby? Do they give them a name? Each, that's a very, to each their own. You okay. know, yeah, I'll okay. be honest, at the beginning, I didn't at all. And then, you know, when I, I had the, the 20 week one I did because it was just so real and he was there in front of us. And I was like, I can't, like the difference between the fatal fetal is you get a DHL box or you get your child. Like, it's horrific if you have to travel. I don't think people quite realise how horrific it is. Three days later, a DHL arrives in this cardboard box. I know. Somebody and had told me this. I, I remember when we talked about this during the abortion referendum and somebody explained that, yeah, that yeah. whole idea. And that, that's horrendous. Imagine, imagine the remains of your baby arriving in a DHL no, box. That, that's exactly. And I will say that the one thing I will carry for the rest of my life is I feel with the stillborn, I held that little child's hand as long as I could. Mm-hmm. I felt with the fatal fetal, in the end, I wasn't strong enough. Seven weeks of sitting in my house, not being able to go to playgrounds because people were mentioning it. Or, you know, I felt, I really feel like I let that little girl down, that I wasn't able to be the type of mother I was to my other daughter, and I will carry that forever. Um, and like you say, I should never have actually gone, but the politicians, everybody, nobody was being strong enough at that stage. No, not at that point. No. You know, no. so unfortunately I became a scapegoat. Yeah, well, it wasn't just even the politicians weren't strong enough, unfortunately. No, the constitution the doctor, didn't yeah, allow it. Lot. Yeah, it was yeah, complicated. Yeah. You know, beyond complication, to be honest no, with you. we were told we could do stuff that it involved legal, and I mean, yeah. your brain is so melted. Ah, so oh, she had every doctor, when they brought in that temporary legislation, um, the pregnancy bill, uh, between the period after Savita and Anna Palver, and they brought out the, then, obviously, the legislation after the referendum, there was a temporary bill in place to deal with certain circumstances. But your doctors were terrified. They were terrified, no, because, because they, they thought they were going to go period. to jail for 14 years. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I fell into yeah. that time period. Yeah. Do, do me a favour, stay there for a second. I'm not trying to cut anybody short, but it's just I have so many people wanted to talk about it and I have so little time, unfortunately. Uh, Ruth, you're in Ireland's Classic Hits as well. You've been listening to Lucy, who obviously went through a very difficult time with many miscarriages. Uh, and you, the same, Ruth, you had three. Yes, I did. I had three. I'm sorry for all your losses, Lucy. Oh, it's horrifying. Okay. I know how you feel. No, well, my attitude is I was blessed in the end, so I, I have no... Exactly. Complaint. You know, I'm, and, I'm the lucky one. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I had three miscarriages, Niall. I had my first one was a twin, but my the, tw- the other twin stayed, so she's my daughter Mia now. Okay. But, yeah, which is great, and another last. But, and then the second one, I was 12 weeks, and I there was no heartbeat. Yeah. And then the third one was a very, oh, it was awful. It was an ectopic pregnancy. Right, okay. And 
I, I have no understanding, ladies. I'm listening to the two of you and I have no understanding mm-hmm. how it must feel to be in the situation you were in, pregnancy after pregnancy, and to be given that bad news every single time. It, Lucy, it must have been heartbreaking. It's funny, I remember we ended up going down the IVF route. I did, we didn't need to, we were, but we were just trying to get... And I remember at one stage, so I had five failed IVFs on top of those. Um, I remember talking to the nurse once saying, oh my God, if I get pregnant again and lose it, I'd always lose around the mm-hmm. 10 or 11 or 12 weeks. And she goes, she goes, I don't know what to say. She goes, she goes, I have a girl here who just can't get pregnant. So I think, you know, there's so many awful scenarios and mm-hmm. we fall into some of them. And like I say, nature's everything and you've got to accept mm-hmm. it. And some of us, I'm very lucky, I'm a strong person. I'm very determined. And everybody, I will say, everybody tried to dissuade me off my path. And, and Ruth, sorry, reason. sorry, Lucy, but Ruth, how did you deal with it, Ruth? Did you deal with it well? Could you? Did you handle it well? I did. I did deal with it well. And I'm, do you know what? I'm a, I'm a survivor. I think because I'm, I'm a strong person because of it now. But only for my husband, of course, was so good and so supportive, and and my family, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be have able to be dealt with it because. The hospitals weren't great, to be honest with you. The hospital was not great. For my, for example, for my 12-week one, I was given a leaflet. I was given two tablets to go home and take it. And I took the tablets at home and I, it was like pure agony because it was like I was having contractions, mm-hmm. you know. Is it, is it a awful. case, when I, when I listened to one of the other previous callers as well said that she felt that one of the midwives wasn't very empathetic, right? But one was. No. Is, it, mm-hmm. is it a case that midwives and, and nurses and doctors who work with women who have miscarriages on a regular basis or have babies on a regular basis or stillbirths on a regular basis, maybe they, over time, it, they become a little bit desensitised. Could that be, is that possible? I mean, I don't mean they do it in a bad way, but that yeah. maybe it's just to them, it's routine, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. It is true. And, you know, it's, it's hard for them as well. Also, I'm sure they get so many women in there and they're so busy. The hospital's mm-hmm. so busy all the time. Yeah. And with the ectopic pregnancy, it was, it was, I was 12 hours in the, in, in the emergency room and they didn't know what was wrong with me. They were talk, thought it was appendicitis and, I was up and down doing scans. It was 24 hours before they actually knew that I was actually internally bleeding. So, and then they would panic and they sent me straight down for a C-section. And it was horrific. It was just scary, scary. We didn't know what was going on. And it was like, oh my God, what's going on? And because we didn't know. You didn't know, yeah. Yeah, the the, yeah. the unknown is probably worse than anything and not it's knowing. Worse, and, yeah. and, and generally with miscarriage, you will probably, in most cases, you'll never know why it happened. It's just one of those things. No. And, and, and Sometimes we blame ourselves. Well, that's what everybody has said today. They blame, what did I do? And unfortunately for one of the girls, when she went into hospital, the first thing the nurse said to her was, well, what did you do yesterday? So that doesn't help because then no. you start to think, did I do something wrong? Was it me high heels I was wearing? Did I stress too much over, the, as somebody mentioned, the christening earlier on? Was I working too hard yesterday? But I mean, during pregnancy, you should be able to do those things. It shouldn't be an issue. Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And it's not an issue. It's not an issue. It's, yeah. it's, but the, the nurses and the midwives, they just, to see what happened through the day, if anything did happen, I'm sure they they could maybe word it better, you know? Yes, I think so. I think so. And Ruth, you know, your friends just finally, in relation to your friends and family and how they dealt with you and your loss, do you think people have well, an understanding on how to deal with it and what to say to you? I think this is an awful thing to say. More women, women know more how to deal with it than men. My brothers now were very quiet about it, but my sisters and all the rest of my family were, and um, all the rest of my friends, girlfriends were brilliant and very. But the, with men, I think it, it's it's so they don't know what to say. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it and, is because and, I, I, that, and you know Lucy described earlier on, or should I say Ruth? Or sorry, I'm getting confused now. Sorry, I do mean Lucy. Describe the uncomfortableness of sometimes exactly. saying something because even talking to you two girls and all the ladies that I've spoken today as a man I feel a little bit uncomfortable in a sense that I don't know what it's like I've never experienced it so I don't know exactly that's natural say. as well you know because men are men you know do you know what I mean and I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way do you understand what I'm saying it's just that I, I've never been there so I, I don't know what to say and I think that's yeah. why we need to have this conversation today so as people have a better understanding of what to say. You know, should they ring you up afterwards, friends or family, and say, listen, are you okay, Lucy? Are you okay, Ruth? Exactly, yeah. You know what I mean? Can we do anything for you? Or, you know what I mean? 
and don't turn around and say something like, don't worry, you can always have another one. That's probably the worst thing that people do say, unfortunately. But But even if the hospitals rang or a nurse rang, like nobody called me after I had any of them. None of the hospitals called in to check, do you want to go for counselling? What I find is that they just give you leaflets. Mm -hmm. And what good are leaflets? You need someone to say, please try and go, it's really good. But it's not pushed enough, I don't think. Somebody just sent in a text and said the Rotunda staff are amazing in these situations. They have a bereavement team who can't do enough for the couples. They're incredible. Okay. Okay. So they've had a good experience in that situation. All right. But listen, Lucy and Ruth, thank you very much indeed for sharing your story. Thank you. And if anybody's listening today who's pregnant or has been through this situation, well, maybe listening to you two girls, it gives them a little bit of help and support to be able to deal with that. Claire, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Claire? Hi, Nile. How are you? Uh, Claire, you've had three miscarriages, two ectopic pregnancies, and you've had failed IVF as well. Yeah, that's right. So you've been through a really tough time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was over the course of about, I suppose, about um, maybe eight years all in total. Okay, okay. Um, Kind of from being about, say, 29 or 30 when you decided to try for the first baby. Um, And kind of, it obviously went on from there then. And when you had the miscarriages, I mean, was it late into your pregnancy and had you told people about your pregnancy and, you know? Yeah, I had for the first one, I think for the first one, we had told people, we were just so excited. Of course, um, yeah. I had told, you know, we told my mum and my dad and my brother and my sister-in-law was pregnant as well at the time, so we were so excited. Yeah, so I had told them the first time. Um, as time went on then, the second and third time, you get a, li- you get a lot more cautious, you know, you kind of tend to keep it to yourself. Okay. And, um, and at what stage of the pregnancy were the miscarriages? Um, different stages. They were about uh, 11 weeks. Okay. Um, another one then was about eight, nine weeks. And I think another one was then just before the shoot. I was in for scans quite regularly, so um, it, it gets kind of muddled up over the years. But I was definitely like eight, nine weeks. Um, some of them just kind of under 12 weeks. Okay. And does it, I, somebody, I said to somebody earlier on, does it make a difference if it was kind of... Sort of eight weeks or sixteen weeks or whatever it happens. To be. Does it make a difference the further you're into the pregnancy? Does that make it because you're more invested? I imagine the further you are into a pregnancy, does it make a difference? Um, I don't know. See, for me, I think like the first time you're pregnant, like for me, within the first couple of days, when I mean, you're you're thinking about this, like I had the schools picked out, the buggy picked out, of where they were going to go to college. Yeah. Picking out names, like I had, a, you have, and my husband too, like we had everything almost planned out, you know, as to like, oh, we're going, where we're going to live and, you know, we were actually even looking at, oh, changing the car. So to me, the minute you know you're pregnant and obviously it's very much wanted, you're already, you're already there. You're already like the next 18 years are planned out ahead of you. Yeah, you're nearly saving the money for college at that stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know, yeah. I know, and that's what most people do, of course, particularly with the first pregnancy. But after you've had a miscarriage, I suppose that attitude then changes to more concern, I suppose. Yeah. On the second and third pregnancy, yeah, you just get so you get so nervous, and every little twinge. Um, I remember on one of the first one, I was actually um, I was out hacking on my horse, and I was just out for a really a really old horse, good quiet horse, and I was about four miles from home, and I just didn't, didn't feel well. And the poor old horse got over. She just she just trotted the whole way home. I don't remember much about it. She brought me home again. Okay. Um, but I don't remember. But like after that, then they just. Yeah, it just kind of, they all just, one just kind of, you, you just, you don't really, you're kind of constantly on edge all the time, you know, yeah. you're yeah. constantly on edge, like every time you feel a twinge or anything like that, you're just constantly on edge. On edge. And then you decided then after, you know, obviously your pregnancies had, you hadn't had much luck in relation to pregnancy, you decided to go for IVF. And what was the reason then you decided to go for IVF? What was, was that advice you took for a doctor or? Yeah, well, when you're having a topic, so the first topic, see, when you're having a topic, you lose, you, you lose your kind of, uh, what's called a fallopian tube. So basically, okay. so it's like it's like the bridge is down. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, all right, okay. So the, yeah, so the bridge the bridge is down. So um, basically, so what happens is then you so you you lose one atopic pregnancy, so you lose one tube. So then your your chances are you only can, can conceive every second month because you ovulate from a okay, different tube every I month. So then I'm getting then a very when, I'm getting a very basic biology lesson yeah, here, but it's work it's working. No, no, it's working well, Claire. Thank you. So then the second, so the second the topic, then that's it. Like you have you have no tube, so you can't actually. So the get, second bridge was yeah, down essentially. Yeah, then. yeah the okay. second bridge was down. So yeah, and I was lucky. I found I was in, in Limerick Hospital there, and they were just brilliant. And I had a great um, a doctor in there, um, Kathy Casey. She was just all oh, superb um, and very supportive. Um, so, like after the last topic pregnancy, that was quite severe. Now that was a real, a real kind of panic rush ambulance job. Um, 
they, like, she came in to me the next morning and just had a chat, like, you know, to see was I okay. And I just said, look, IVF is an option for you, but don't think about it for now. Um, so I left it for a while because I was just so numb. It was just, and I had lost my father in between all this and it was just too much. So we did decide then that we would, after a couple of years, we would try IVF. Okay. And, and the, yeah, yeah. How, how many rounds of IVF had you had? I just did the one. I, okay. This is where, so, so I just I just did the one. It's quite expensive and everything, as, as people so, know. So where are you now? What's the point you're at now? No, so I just decided after the, after the, um, the, the, um, the IVF that I just felt myself that that was it. I'd had enough. And okay. I just thought like that, like I was kind of getting to my late 30s then. Um, work, I'm in my early 40s now, but it just came from me personally that I thought that's it, enough's enough. For my that, must, own but that, that must be devastating. And I, and I know when the girls mentioned earlier on, you felt as a mother or as a woman, you know, this kind of nature giving you this right to have a child or this ability yes. to have children. So that must be very difficult for you now at this stage that mm. you've gone through so much and you've kind of almost thrown in the towel now at this stage. I mean, th- yeah. that must be very difficult as a woman, is it? It is, yeah, yeah. It took a while to come to terms with it, but I just, I just knew myself well enough, and I, and I didn't want to be one. I didn't want to let it be like, like that's all I was—a woman that couldn't have children. I didn't want it to let it ruin, let it, um, kind of ruin my marriage or kind mm-hmm. of over, overtake the rest of my life. So there, there, I had decided, like, it just come to the point where I just felt in myself that enough was enough. I had given it my best shot. Um, like sometimes you always hear the stories about, oh, you know, eventually people have a baby, and that's great. But sometimes it just doesn't work out. And no one really ever speaks about that. But no. sometimes it just doesn't work out. No. And, and, and you're right. And there are many women around the country listening today in a similar situation to yourself, or maybe close enough to that situation, who are just not going to be able to have a baby. And d- does adoption ever come into your head, or is that something that you would do or consider? It did, yeah. Now, in the middle of all this, we had gone to see about adoption. Now, at the time, we were down the route of that, um, I, th- I think it was, um, like, what they call inter-con- inter-country adoption. Inter-country now, adoptions, yeah. yeah now, now we were we were kind of way down the line of that. Now, um, we had two things, A, and then just at the last minute, it was, uh, I have to think back now, it was like with Vietnam, they, they closed the borders. So basically, like, there was people that were three or four years down the line, kind of further than us, into this inter-country adoption. And I have to think now exactly what happened, but they, there was kind of some questions about where these, where these poor children were coming from. Yeah. So that was kind of, like I said, we've gone a year or so down the line with that, and um, we've kind of looked at that, but that was kind of shut down as well. Um, well, look, I, I, I'm sorry I'm running a bit short in time, and I'm not trying to dismiss you, Claire, or, or cut your story no, no. short or anything, but look, I wish you well in the future, and I'm sorry you've been through so much. You've been through a really difficult time. Uh, but look, you know, I suppose it is what it is, and it... it that's just the way it is. I, I, I don't even know what the right thing to say to you is. But my condolences on all your losses because there's a lot of losses there and I and I hope you, you can get through all that. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Claire. And to everybody who got involved in the show, by the way, today, because it is a very difficult thing to talk about and very difficult thing for women to be open about in particular. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic.